All right, well, good morning again, and welcome again. Uh, we're continuing our uh, new series that we just started last week, Faith and Finance. We are talking about money, uh, our stuff, uh, our financial lives. And if you were here last week, uh, thank you for coming back. <laughs> if you were not here last week, uh, look, we know this is a challenging topic. Uh, we know that money and talking about money in church can make us feel uncomfortable or maybe a little resistant. Um, but what we talked about last week in the message was this hard truth, this idea that money is often the greatest barrier to following Jesus. Uh, so often our attitudes about money are really what prevent us from experiencing the joy and blessing of kingdom life. And so, you know, as hard as it is, as challenging as it might be, uh, we really want to uh, just go there uh, graciously, humbly, but also boldly because this topic matters so much. And so uh, for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about some uh, really important different aspects of, you know, money and, and how we use money, right? So next week, we're going to be talking about spending and, you know, how we actually use our money. We'll talk about saving uh, and just kind of, you know, preparing for the future in a couple weeks. And then we're going to close off the series with a couple weeks on giving, tithing, and just the general idea of sharing what we have. And um, all of those are really important. I'm excited to get there. But before we can talk about uh, how we use our money, we have to talk about how we get money. We have to talk about work. Uh, I remember a, a funny conversation that we had with my son, Grayson, when he was really young, like, like three or four years old. And he was talking to my wife, Alyssa, about her job. And if you, you don't know, Alyssa is a nurse. She works in an infusion center, so she primarily works with cancer patients. And Gray was really interested in this. And, and you could tell, right, that he thought it was really cool that his mom, you know, gets to go to work and help people every day. And as he's talking to her, you can tell he, he's thinking about it. The wheels are really turning. And at some point, he stops and he looks at her and he says, okay, so mom, how much does it cost? And we were like, wait, what do you mean? How much, how much does what cost? And he said, well, how much do you have to pay to work there? <laughs> and so we laughed, and we, you know, we, don't, we tried to be nice about it. But it's like, dude, mom gets paid by the hospital, right? Like, that's why she works there, so we can have money, and, you know, we can buy stuff. And his mind was just blown. Like, what? You get to do that, and they pay you for it. So I jumped in, and I was like, dude, if you don't believe that, wait till you hear this. You know how, like, I go to church all the time, and I just tell people about Jesus, and I sing songs on my guitar? They pay me for that, too. And he's like, whoa, no way. Now, to those of us who are older than four, right, this is pretty obvious, right? You go to work, you make money, and in order to have money, you have to work for it. Before we can give or save or spend or whatever, we have to go out and earn some. And I think one of the things that's so easy to take for granted is that our attitudes about how we get money, our attitudes about this process of earning and doing work, often shape how we use it, our attitudes about how we use our money. And so before we go any further in this series, we really kind of want to talk about this foundational idea, this relationship between work and the kingdom, between making money and following Jesus. And really my, my hope for this morning is we're, we're going to address just, just two really big questions. 
And these are two really hard questions. The answers to them are, are both pretty obvious. They're pretty simple. But they are, are hard for us to really grasp, appreciate, and kind of live out. And so my hope for this morning is that we, we talk about those questions, we answer them, but that we walk away kind of wrestling with the answers, how we feel about them, and what we are going to do about them. So let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to start with this first question, really simple. Who is responsible for what I have? Or who's responsible for the money that I make, uh, for the material blessing of work? Who, who gets the credit? Now, I think the answer is probably obvious, or the answer that we're trying to get to, the thing that I'm hinting at. But before we get there, I really want to quickly just talk about the general concept of work and blessing in Scripture. Uh, one of the most basic ideas about work in the Bible is just that work is good. God is a fan of work. We can go all the way back to the beginning to see this, right? Genesis 1, this creation account, we talked about that in the fall, that God creates us, he, he places us in the garden to live with him and, and be in relationship with him. But kind of at the center of our existence, at the center of our day-to-day -day life in the garden is work. Right, stewarding creation, ruling and subduing, working and taking care of the garden. Uh, in fact, many scholars point out that this is one of the most essential parts of our identity as image bearers, as people who reflect God's heart, reflect God's identity, is that we work. And so we've been gifted, we've been endowed with the ability to work in the world that he's created. Now that might not be that surprising, but there's, there's more. Not only is work good, what the Bible also seems to indicate is that making money is good too, right? Because we have physical and material needs, God has ordained work as kind of the primary way that he provides for us, right? So money is a part of his blessing. So trying to make money, trying to go out and provide for ourselves, provide for our families, is part of God's plan for our lives, Right, so one of the things we see throughout the Bible is just this kind of just general call, this general exhortation to be diligent, to work hard. This is something that we see pretty clearly in the book of Proverbs. And I want to just show you a few of these. Proverbs is full of, uh, of just verses about working hard, making money, and how those things are a good part of life. But here's a few examples. Proverbs 10, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 12, those who work their land will have abundant food. Those who chase fantasies have no sense. Proverbs 13, a slugger's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Finally, Proverbs 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, just really quickly, Proverbs is a, a kind of a tricky book, and so we have to be careful with how we apply those passages. Scripture isn't guaranteeing uh, material blessing for hard work, and it's not elevating money to the highest level of priority, but it's affirming this basic idea, right? Diligence, hard work towards making money are good. It's important that we know, right? The, the Bible is, is never saying, hey, you need to kind of opt out of society, just spend your life praying and trying to be a good person, the Bible never says, hey, don't worry about, you know, any of that stuff. Don't worry about school and, and your job. Don't worry about making money. Just trust God and everything will, you know, work itself out. Instead, the Bible says, get to work because this is often the way God will provide for you. 
To put it another way, Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3. I think this is funny. He says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Now there's some context to that, but it's a pretty blunt statement of, of how things work in the world around us. Now, let's come back to our first question, this first issue that we have to wrestle with. Who is responsible for that blessing? As we work hard, as we're blessed, as God provides materially for us, who is responsible for what we have and what we earn? And I think, you know, most of us have an idea of what the Bible says, that God is. God is sovereign over everything. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is ultimately responsible for everything. He's sovereign over everything and everything that we have. But see, the problem is, and the challenge of, of looking at money and thinking about work, is that our own pride and the values of our culture have kind of twisted around this idea that we see in, in the book of Proverbs. It's twisted around a really simple idea, right? Both Bible, the Bible and culture agree that hard work often leads to financial blessing. What we often do is we kind of twist this around into this belief that your financial blessings are because of your hard work. See, this is the twisted way of thinking about things. And so often, it's, it's really simple, right? When we think about this question, who is responsible for what I have? Kind of the gut-level feeling, or our most honest belief is that, well, I am. I'm responsible for what I have, right? I work hard. I earn the money I make. I deserve it. And this is the easiest possible way to view life. Right? Because all of us can look at our jobs, all of us can look at our work and say, man, I, I put a lot into this. Right? Like, I work hard. I, I know the hours I've worked, the, the early mornings, the late nights. I know the sacrifices that I've made for myself and for my family. I know the difficult situations I've been in with coworkers and bosses. I know the things that I've accomplished. I've, I've done some really cool things. I've come up with some great ideas, some, some huge ventures. I took that chance when nobody else would, and, and I'm reaping the benefits. And so the most natural thing to do, right, is to look at our, our paycheck, comes in to look at it, to look at the things we're able to buy with it, and, and just, just kind of say, like, hey, like, I did this. I worked for it. And this leads us to kind of just claim ownership, claim responsibility over what we have. Now, obviously, God wants us to see things differently. But the question is, is how? There's a really fascinating passage I want us to look at in the book of Deuteronomy. And this passage isn't really totally about money, even though it talks about money. But it kind of reflects on this idea of responsibility and how God is responsible for what we have. This passage, uh, Deuteronomy 8, verse 10, it comes in kind of this phase as Israel is about to enter the promised land. And he's kind of commanding his people. God is telling his people, hey, when, when you get there, when things start to be really good, when you start to 
reap the benefits of all this sacrifice, all this hard work, he says, don't forget me. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Verse 12, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Man, I read that, and I, man, those words, right, it just speaks right into the human heart. And this is written thousands of years ago, but it just pierces across cultures, across the centuries, because this is what we do. Moses knew it, God knew it. We want to become proud and forget the Lord and say it was my power and the strength of my hands. Uh, this past year, uh, 2023, I set a, uh, a really big goal for myself in the beginning of the year. I decided that I wanted to run 2,500 miles in the year. Now, I can't explain exactly why I wanted to do this other than the fact that I'm turning 40 this year, and so I wanted to be like in really good shape when I turn 40 since I feel like I'm going to start declining pretty soon. But right, I don't have to tell you that running 2,500 miles is a lot, and it takes a lot of work. Right, that's about 50 miles a week, which means on average, running about six days a week for anywhere between eight to nine miles. And in order to have time to do this, because it takes a little while, I'll wake up about 4.45 every morning and run before the kids have to go to school. Now, it took a long time, obviously, like it was a lot of work, but I'm proud to say that I made it on December 27th, I think. I, I hit the 2,500-mile mark. And it, yeah. Thanks, Andy. Not looking for praise, but, but i got to be honest. It felt really good. Right, like, like as I'm running and I'm looking at my watch and I know when I'm going to hit it, you know, I feel like I'm, you know, crossing the line of a, a big race. And, you know, I just, I just I felt this, this real sense of, you know, this meaningful accomplishment. Like, I felt proud that I did something good. But in that moment, and I've had moments like this before in running, and, and those of you who play sports or run or do anything like that, you know this feeling, right? Like, there's this kind of way that pride twists up our accomplishments and turns it into just kind of this, this ego and vanity. Like, man, like, look at what I did. Check this out, right? Like, look at what I have accomplished. I am awesome. Like, 
I just want praise. I, you know, I want to tell people at church, and they're all going to clap for me. I'll t- give Andy 20 bucks to make a noise so that I can, you know, get some applause. Now, on one hand, right, this is totally understandable because it is an accomplishment. And I, and I know how hard I worked. I know the early mornings I woke. I know the days that I, that I pushed through when I, when I was sore and hurting. I, I ran on vacation. I, I ran on days when I didn't feel like it. And so, right, it's normal to say, like, no one did that for me. But one of the challenges of faith in any walk of life, right, is to see beyond that, right? To see that there's always more to our hard work. And one of the interesting things about running for me is that God has always kind of challenged me to think about running in terms of, of grace, right? To see his responsibility in this blessing. Because when I think about it, like, at the core of who I am, like, I hate running. When I was growing up, when I was in high school, I hated running so much. We used to do these runs for basketball, for conditioning. They're like two and a half miles, and I was always last. Like, even when I was a senior, I was on varsity. I'm coming behind, like, the 14-year-old freshman kids who, like, just, I just, I hated it. I was miserable. I complained about it. You know, there were some guys who would cheat and take shortcuts. And, man, I never cheated on anything in high school, but I cheated on those runs. I'm not going to lie. When I started running in college, I was like 60 pounds uh, more than I weigh now. I was overweight, and I had no business. I hated running, but I was like, I need to get in shape. And, and somehow, I was able to kind of, from the start, be able to run three miles every night. In other parts of my life, I am so undisciplined. If you try to get me to, like, stop eating candy or drink soda or, or even other aspects of exercise, I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. And yet, somehow, with running, it's stuck for 20 years. And what this reminds me of, what, what I see in this, and what God has always impressed upon me, is that God has blessed me with something and that this is a gift. Right? And, and I know that I'm not a runner because I'm special. I didn't run 2,500 miles because I'm tougher than everybody else. But it is one way that God has uniquely blessed me. And what's cool about it is it makes me feel really, really grateful. But it's easy to miss this, right? When we think about our hard work, when we think about the things we do, it's easy to miss this in our own pride. And this is the warning of Deuteronomy 8 and really the warning of the larger picture of Scripture. Do not miss God's grace in your life. Do not miss his blessing because of your pride. Moses says this. He says, hey, when your flocks grow, you have fine houses. You're going to have more silver and gold. He says, your heart will forget. Your heart will say, it was my power and the strength of my hands. See, pride kind of blinds us, right? It it gives us tunnel vision. Look at what I did. Look at how hard I worked. Look at all those things that I did. And meanwhile, we're missing this bigger picture of God's provision. Moses says, hey, hey, you got to fight that urge, that instinct. You have to, what does he say? Remember. Now, remember God leading you. He took you out of Egypt. You guys were slaves, He brought you through the wilderness. He gave you manna. He gave you water from a rock. 
Like, why do you think you're here now and you're building these houses and you have the silver and gold? Because God, like, literally kept you alive with water out of a rock. That is provision. He says, man, don't forget. And this is true of us, and it's different for each one of us. It's different for each of our lives. But I can guarantee you that there have been moments in your life where God grabbed you out of where you were and said, hey, I'm going to provide for you today. Right? We can look at, man, I have this awesome job. But where did that opportunity come from? Or I'm so smart and hardworking. Who made you that way? See, God has given us this important challenge to remember, to remember who he is, his grace and his goodness in all walks of life, and especially in the blessings we receive. There's this other passage later in Deuteronomy, uh, and it's really more related to money and ultimately to giving. But basically in this passage, Moses is saying, hey, when you uh, come to give an offering to God, and when you come and, and you lay your, your, your offering at his feet, do this thing that I've t- been telling you this whole time. You have to remember Deuteronomy uh, 26, verse 4. He says, The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean. He went down into the Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, subjecting us to harsh labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery, toil, and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror and with signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, the Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord, your God, and bow down before him. For some reason, that phrase has always stuck with me. My father was a wandering Aramean. And he's basically saying this, man, I know where I came from. My ancestors, they were nobodies. And then they went to Egypt, and for a brief period, they were somebody, but then they were nobodies again. They were mistreated. They were slaves with no hope and no future. And the only reason I have anything to give you is because you gave it to me. What I have, I bring before you and acknowledge that it's yours. And this is the heart that God wants us to have towards our money, to recognize and this amazing blessing and what we have. Right? And we have a choice here, right? We can look back on our lives and think about those moments where we were nobodies, right? Where we felt like we had no options, we felt like we had no future, these moments where we were scared about how we were going to make a living. We can remember the times that God has blessed us with people and opportunities. And we can either say, man, that was pretty lucky. Or we can say, that was God's grace and provision. Do not forget the Lord your God. And again, as I said at the beginning, this is a hard thing to wrestle with. Again, it goes against the grain of how we think about life. It goes against the grain of how people around us talk about our accomplishments and our stuff. 
And I think for many of us in this entire series, this is going to be one of the biggest hurdles. And before we can, you know, begin to talk about how we spend, how we save, how we give, we have to reckon with who is responsible. We have to reckon with this radical picture of grace in our financial lives. Now, in some ways, we could probably just stop right there. I could bring that up, and we could close with worship. But there's another question that's, that's really related to this that I just want to touch on, and we can't unpack everything related to this question. But as we think about who is responsible for what I have, as we think about God's grace in, in giving us so much, the next most natural question is, what is my stuff for? Or put another way, why has God blessed me with this? What does he want me to do with it? Uh, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells one of his most famous parables. Uh, it used to be called the parable of the talents. We now call it the parable of the bags of gold, which doesn't have the same ring to it. But in, in verse 14, Jesus says this, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, I'm going to stop there, and we're really not going to dive deep into this parable but for Jesus, it's this kind of imagery that's kind of central to his teaching on money and our possessions and our stuff. We see a similar kind of image and theme in the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the ten meanest, and uh, some of the other ones as well. But in each story, Jesus challenges his followers to see themselves in terms of this paradigm. God as the owner, God as the, the master of the estate, and us, that is his disciples, as faithful servants. And the word that's often used, that we use a lot in church, is this idea of, of being a steward. Right? Someone who is trusted with wealth. In many cases, a steward is given kind of vast sums of money. And they're trusted to use uh, the master's money for the master's purposes. And in each parable, right, the faithful steward is the one who uses this money wisely. And the one who is unfaithful, the one who squanders the master's wealth, is condemned. And again, these stories uh, go far beyond just money. These aren't just about how we use our money. This is about all of kingdom life. But the key point here is that, that money is included in this picture. That we have been given so much, entrusted with so much, blessed with so much, so that we can use it to serve the purposes of this good and gracious master. We're not meant to see ourselves as, you know, the owners and masters of our own financial stories. We're not meant to think about life as kind of this, this acquiring of more and more and more so that we can use it on ourselves. Instead, we're meant to think about life in terms of this stewardship paradigm that God gives us more and more. He blesses with us more and more so that we can ask the question, God, how shall I use this next? Now, again, this is a challenging idea. It's easy enough to say, God has blessed me with a lot. Thank you. I'll use it in the way you asked me to. 
But it's, it's a hard thing to, to live out, to actually practice. It's hard to think about ourselves as a steward. I think in some ways we struggle with the idea of, of a loss of, of control. Uh, I took uh, the kids uh, shopping uh, this past week. We went to Target because they have some um, extra Christmas money. And so they have money that they want to spend and um, excited to spend. But, you know, they're still on the young side, right? So there's this balance, right? I want them to be able to use the money the way they want to use it and buy things that they'll enjoy. But I also don't want them to do something dumb, right? I don't want them to waste their money on something that they really don't need. And so, you know, we go shopping, and, and there's kind of this, this dance, right? Especially with Gray, who's a typical little boy. He's just like me. He wants to spend his money on everything and anything. And it's kind of like he'll, he'll see something, and, and he knows not to just be like, Dad, I want this. But he's kind of like, so, like, Dad, this is kind of cool. Like, what do, you, what do you think of, this? not a Bible, he's picking up some toy or something, but he's like, yeah, this is, this is cool. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think about this? And, you know, maybe, maybe with this, is this a good price? How much is this? Right? And he's, he's trying to, like, see, like, like, is this okay? Am I allowed to buy this? And, you know, when we think about this idea of stewardship, it, it feels like, are, are we just little kind of like money robots and we have to ask God permission for, for everything we spend on and we can never spend anything for, for our own enjoyment and it's only like we have to, again, we give all our money away and give all our money to people all the time. But see, this isn't a question of control. And it's not about every single purchase. It's not about going through everything with a fine-tooth comb at every moment. But there's a question, right? This larger question about direction. Right? This larger question about purpose. As a general principle, who do I think my money is for? Who do I think my stuff is for? Is it for me or is it for the kingdom? And the hardest part of this, right, the hardest part of being faithful with stewardship is to make that choice, right? Every single one of us has important purposes, important agendas, things that, that we want. And God isn't saying those things are bad, but he's asking, can you choose to, to look first to what I'm doing, to what I want? I remember um, when Alyssa and I bought our first condo in, in 2009, and this was like a, a really cool moment. I won't get into all the details, but at that point, we had spent like three years being really poor. Like I was in seminary at, at Biola, and it's pretty expensive. I wasn't hardly working at all, and so Alyssa's paying for everything, and I'm just in the red. And, and you know, we didn't think we were ever going to be able to buy. We thought we'd be renting forever, but things just kind of came together. There was this program that Obama started with a loan. I don't know. I don't really get it still. But and we, I got like a bonus from church. Like I got like more than I was expecting. And, and it just kind of all worked out. It fit like perfectly to where we could buy this, you know, this perfect little condo for us. And right when it happened, from, from the moment it happened, it was like so clear to us. Like, man, like God is just really blessing with us. We literally said like, we feel like this is from God, like, like he gave it to us. And so we talked about it, and, and it was like, yeah, this is, this is God's house, and we are going to use it for him. We're, we're going to make this a place of like ministry and community. We're going to try to share it and, and be generous with it. 
We're going to have people over. We're going we're gonna to do really cool things with this. And in some ways, over the next few years, we did some, some really good things there. But the reality is, is just we got really busy. Right? As, as much as our intentions were good, as much as we had the right attitude, there was so much else going on. We had kids. Our jobs got busier. It was one thing to say, God, thank you for blessing me. And it's another thing to say, I, I want to give this back to you, even when there are competing priorities, even when there are other things that I care about, other things that matter, other things that you do want me to attend to. I'm going to continue to, to be really intentional about stewarding the gifts that you've given me. And look, again, I said this last week, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about your stuff. And when I look back on that experience with the house, I mostly feel really grateful and really good about kind of those first steps in thinking about our stuff in light of the kingdom. But ultimately, it's a reminder for me that stewardship requires regular focused attention. Being a steward requires a daily attentiveness to what our life is really for. Right? Stewardship isn't just about writing a check once a month. It's not just about being thankful. It's not just about cutting out a few wasteful purposes. It's a lifestyle. And it's not just about money, right? This is, stewardship is the call of our whole life. Every moment, every breath, our gifts, our, our spiritual gifts. We're stewards of everything, but we have to include money in that, and it takes a lot of work. There's a part of me that wants to figure out a way to explain this so that it's, it's, it's easier for us, right? Like, well, actually, the Bible says this, so you really just have to do this. Like, no, the Bible is clear. It belongs to God, and the onus is on us to just try every day to think about who is God, what is he about, and how does my stuff how does what I earn, how does what he's given me fit into that? And so this is kind of the invitation this morning, you know, again, before we jump into some really specific questions about our money, is to just wrestle with these questions. To think about pride and entitlement and the way those things just kind of twist our, our beliefs about money. But as hard as this is, I, I do want to close with a, a word of encouragement and, and I think a word of hope. At the end of the day, how we think about money, how we think about work, how we think about our stuff, if we go back to, to Deuteronomy 8, it's not primarily about us trying hard. It's not primarily about us beating ourselves up about this. It's about, it's about going back to the reality of, of who God is. It's about going back to this picture of goodness and grace, to spend as much time as we can thinking about the ways that we've been blessed, living in thanks and gratitude, and ultimately being open to new opportunities as we consider who God is, both in the past and who he will be in the future. And so as we close this morning, as we worship, uh, I just invite you to, to, to be shaped in how you view money 
Not by the world around you, not by the desires of the flesh, not by the things that we wish we had, but let your views on money be shaped by God's grace, by his goodness, by his provision, and by this perfect purpose he has for our lives. Let's pray.